0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is the DSR Daily. I am DJR, David Rothkopf, one of your co-hosts, joined as always by Chris Kottwar. How are you doing, Chris? Doing fine. Thank you. Uh, And uh, Riley Fessler. How are you doing, Riley? Doing well. So we're at the beginning of a week. It's been an action-packed weekend worldwide. People are I think, shaken by everything that's going on in the world today. What are you starting with today, Chris?
1: So we, one of the stories I was turning this morning was the Venezuelan elections where um, candidate Machado is looking like the primary winner with 93% of the vote, with 26% of the total vote being counted at this point. Um, this you know, would essentially pit her against uh, Nicolas Madero, um, and some of the folks in terms of their response, uh, including um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, were ecstatic with the results with the prospect of potentially unseating uh, Madero in, in Venezuela.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's one to watch closely. Maria Karina Machado uh, had taken an early uh, lead uh, and declared victory in this round. Uh, obviously, Venezuela has not been democratic in a long, long time uh, and uh, matters a lot to the U.S., whether it is or not, um, not just from the point of view of Uh, Big refugee flows, but also the fact that Venezuela is a leading oil producer and uh, has aligned itself for a long time with some of the countries we have big problems with in the world, including Iran. Um, So definitely one to watch closely. Riley. Riley. Well, keeping in line with the election theme, uh, Argentina
2: also had their first uh, primary round of elections and it had a pretty surprise result. We talked about Javier Malay last week as the populist candidate that I think most people considered to be the front runner, but he actually placed second behind uh, the ruling Peronist candidate, this uh, economy minister, Sergio Massa. So kind of a big upset there. Um, but the question going to the second round is who's going to capture the rest of the vote because the third place candidate was a conservative candidate. So how those are going to be split up between Masa and Malay is, I think, the big question.
0: Yeah, it definitely uh, came as a surprise to some people. uh, And uh, uh, nonetheless, Malay is still uh, in there and how they go for those third place votes is going to be a big deal. Masa As a Peronist, uh, uh, the the, the party that has been in charge of Argentina for the longest period of time, um, uh, has, according to a number of the analyses, uh, revealed the uh, striking resilience of that party um, in Argentine politics. And it's not out of the question that he could win and that uh, it could be uh, back with a a center-right government, Um, as opposed to uh, Malay, who makes for good copy, but I think has a lot of people unsettled because of his uh, radical views. Chris? Second
1: story is the China Coast Guard was reporting there was a slight collision in the South China Sea. And the collision occurred between a Philippine ship and a China ship where China was trying to block the Philippines uh Filipino ship from uh, delivering construction materials. Um, the interesting thing about this story is the United States issued a statement essentially stating that uh, they would, um, under a treaty from 1951, protect Phil- the Philippines um, you know, in the case of escalation, which uh, you know I found one to be, a question about are we are we spreading ourselves too thin, uh, given all the other things that are going on in the world? But two, you know, it's something to keep an eye on because it's yet another indication of you know the unrest in in the you know in that region of the world where there's so much right now going on.
0: When people talk about the potential for conflict between the United States and China. Um, One of the things that they focus on is the potential for accidental conflict, the potential that something uh, could happen that escalates. While this incident won't be it, it reminds people that China claims over a million square miles of the South China Sea, uh, uh, contrary to the uh, views and uh, um, uh, perspectives of its neighbors. Uh, and there's a lot of naval um, uh, gamesmanship that goes on in this part of the world. Uh, the statements by the Chinese and the Philippines were extremely strong. As you point out, the U.S. statement was extremely strong. Uh, I think the U.S. statement was that strong sp- specifically to say, don't overplay your hand here, China, um, and and let's keep a lid on this thing. Um, but it's a part of the world to watch. Um of both both the South China Sea, the East China Sea, where there are a number of contested issues with Japan. Uh it's why China's Navy is getting bigger and bigger. And um uh I, it it does go hand in hand with another story. I don't know whether uh you guys have picked up on it, but uh uh, uh there's a report out from the US government that uh the Chinese uh uh are producing nuclear uh, weapons much faster uh than was anticipated. And they they're now estimated um uh to be well over five hundred um such functioning weapons on their way to a thousand such functioning weapons. Um and uh obviously that's a, a very big deal. Uh, uh, the U S military is starting to re- re- refer to them as, you know, kind of a near peer power. Um, uh, and that's why there's been such a desire on the part of the United States to say, let's focus on this part of the world. This is where the stakes are the highest. Uh, but, um, as Michael Corleone, uh, said in the Godfather, uh, I keep trying to get out and it keeps pulling me back in, uh, the middle east we keep trying to get out it keeps pulling us back in and so once again while we want to be focusing on these issues um, uh, and while we also have the issue of ukraine uh, we are now back focused also on china Um and that's a very very challenging position for 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 any one country
2: riley well you have segued perfectly into my second story um, which is more news from israel The IDF announced that it launched raids along the contact line with Gaza, and then also raids that they called uh, Deep into Gaza. And this comes amidst a ramping up of airstrikes ahead of what is expected to be their ground invasion. Despite the U.S. advising Israel to kind of keep delaying this ground invasion uh, to allow more time for humanitarian aid and for hostage negotiations, these these raids kind of signal that the ground invasion uh, might be coming up here here shortly, along with those airstrikes. So that's kind of something to watch for in the days ahead, I think.
0: Yeah, it'll definitely be the big story for the week ahead. You also had some uh, humanitarian aid going through, but comparatively small amounts. Um, uh, and you still have a bit of a tug of war over how much should be getting through. Uh, reports of a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Um, are growing even without the invasion having started once the invasion starts it's going to go uh, uh up up there will be more and more civilian casualties no matter how careful uh people are because of the density of gaza that's going to cause more demonstrations we had a weekend uh in which there were demonstrations around the world um uh in support of the palestinians um and uh uh this, despite the horrors of October 7th. Uh, and in the United States, you've also got the uh, government extremely worried that this is going to lead to more both anti Semitic and anti Muslim violence. The president has spoken out on this. Uh, so, as you watch in the week ahead, it is unlikely we are going to be able to pull away from this story as the centerpiece story. And Brace yourself, because once the invasion starts, I think some of the um, stories coming out of Gaza are going to be deeply unsettling. Chris.:
1: The final story I have is in the context of the series we've been running on the road to COP 28, um, the summit that will take place uh, this November into December in the the, U, the UAE. Um, And the stories that Chevron has made an offer to buy Hess Corporation in an all-stock deal for $55 billion, Um, this comes on the heels of a story that was reported last week where Exxon has made a bid to also uh, acquire uh, Pioneer Natural Resources um, and, you know, this this in the context of the conversations we've been having in these panel discussions, I think one of the things that's been coming out a bit is the, you know, the frustration from the panelists, um, you know, around, you know, what are countries going to do to address uh, these, you know, these scenarios where, you know, for for the United States we've pledged to sell automobiles by 2035. All new automobiles will be electric. Other countries, Europe has made similar pledges. There hasn't been a whole lot of sort of planning, pledging, uh, reporting on what happens to, you know, heating oil, electricity, the kinds of things that, you know, we already use oil and gas for, um, each and every day, but it, signals to me there there is probably over the coming years some consolidation that's going to take place uh, in this industry and i'm I'm actually a bit fascinated to see how oil producing companies who 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 obviously depend on the revenue for, to run their businesses are going to adapt to this new world and um, and also of course what comes out of the COP28 summit related to this, especially when we're holding the summit in a country that relies on um, revenue from oil and gas?
0: Um, Yeah, well, you've definitely touched on one of the big stories of 1911, uh, which is when the federal government broke up the Standard Oil Company. Um, And uh, one piece of Standard Oil was the Standard Oil Company of California, which went on to become Chevron. Uh, And the reason I say that um, is that uh, those companies that Standard Oil got broken up into, that company that was created by John D. Rockefeller, still dominate the industry today. Um, uh, And uh, they work a little bit too closely together for some people's tastes. Uh, They have had the ability to control, uh, uh, oil prices. Uh, uh, they have influenced public policy heavily, uh, and they have pushed back on the kinds of changes that you've talked about for a long, long time. Uh, many of them have invested in new energy technologies. Um, but you know, they have so much capital, uh, so many of their assets in, um, um, uh, fossil fuels that they have uh resisted moving forward into this era, the time is coming um and when you look at the the cop twenty eight you know I, both uh you know the, some of the big oil producing countries, including the host country u a e um all have plans to move into a sort of post fossil fuels era in the next couple of decades uh how quickly that happens? going to be one of the things that's influenced by this. I encourage people to listen to this COP28 series. We have put together a series of broadcasts that will go from now through COP28 that literally involve the best and the brightest minds from the climate community, from the energy community, talking about these issues uh, in depth in a kind of way you just simply aren't hearing it discussed anywhere. Uh, Obviously, climate crisis is one of the biggest issues in the world. Uh, if not the biggest issue in the world, despite everything else that we have said. Um, And so I encourage people to take some time to listen to these things. Brilliant, brilliant minds. Several more interesting such discussions coming out this week. Riley. Yeah,
2: so my last story focuses on Trump's bad luck kind of continuing into the weekend recently um, because there's new audio from Australian media about uh anthony pratt who if you remember was the gentleman who trump allegedly discussed nuclear submarine secrets with previously um and now this new audio seems to suggest that he also suggest he also discussed private calls with leaders of ukraine and iraq with pratt um, specifically talking about how he had bombed iraq before it even made headlines and talked with the president about it. And then he also allegedly discussed his kind of infamous call with Zelensky where he allegedly kind of threatened him or was trying to get him to do a tit for tat on dirt with Biden. Uh, And Trump's quote was allegedly that that was nothing compared to what I usually do. That's nothing compared to what we usually talk about, which seems to be a pretty damning quote in my estimation. And then Trump responded to the story in very Trumpy fashion, calling Pratt a "Quote redheaded weirdo from Australia," which I enjoyed that quote very much, um, but just kind of more
0: more trouble for Trump, which shouldn't really come as a surprise to anyone at this point. Well, you're you're almost right. He called him a red haired weirdo, not a red headed re- weirdo, um, and he said he never spoke to him about these things. Um, one of the things that makes this so significant is that Jack Smith, the prosecutor on this particular case, the Mar-a-Lago case, as it's referred to. Uh, has said that he will prove what Trump's motive was in taking these documents. That's extremely important to the case. Uh, It is something people thought might be hard to prove. In this particular case, uh, it sounds like Smith has um, at least one witness in the form of Pratt uh, who will indicate that Trump gained some economic benefit for this, one of one of the things that he benefited from was, for example, buying uh, tickets or access to Mar-a-Lago event that was worth fifty thousand dollars for a million dollars. And while that may sound like small price to pay for big U.S. national secrets, um, this is exactly the way Trump has always operated in his life. Uh, it's going to be an interesting case if Judge Eileen Cannon ever lets it come to trial because she is slow walking that case, despite the urgency of the issues involved, um, uh, given that Trump is actually running to once again be in control of the U.S. national security apparatus. And even as all these stories unfolded this weekend, new polls have come out showing him crushing the Republicans and doing pretty well against Joe Biden. Uh, So, you know, as we saw from your first couple of stories, elections are hard things to predict despite the amount of money and effort that go into predicting them. Uh, and you could have a guy who is essentially out there auctioning off U.S. national secrets being in charge of them again. Uh, isn't that a great thought with which just kick off the week? Um, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Riley. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We look forward to you joining us again each and every day, Um, and if there are questions you've got for us, just send them in to us via Twitter, via LinkedIn, via email, via Carrier Pigeon, however you like. We'll try to answer them soon. Until then, bye-bye.